Hello, this is Tom Williams, and you are listening to Talk Theater in Chicago's interview podcast. We are starting 2011 with something unique. We have Jonathan Barbanel and Kelly Kleiman. Tell us what the state of Chicago theater is as we go into 2011. Well, I'm sure Jonathan is going to say something extremely wise and profound, but my sense of it is that Chicago theater continues to thrive despite the bad economy, despite the volume of theaters that there are, and I think that that's for the good of all of the theaters, that each of the theaters continues to be healthy. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Okay. Well, there, of course, there are various ways to measure the state of the arts in Chicago or, or elsewhere. Uh, if you look at Actors' Equity Association statistics for the year just concluded, that is, this is the Union of Professional Actors and Stage Managers, and they total up the number of weeks that their members worked at the various theaters in Chicago. And the total work weeks, both in Chicago and the central region and nationally, are down for 2010. Is that right? This shows, this shows the impact of the general economic decline that we are in. Now, remember, theater is what they call a, a lag economic indicator. You know, so many theaters, Tom, are not-for-profit theaters that rely on grants from foundations or corporations or individuals. And when the economy collapsed in 2008, in the middle of the year, the money... The grant money for 2009 had already been committed. Okay. So theater was unaffected in 2009 by the economic slowdown. But in 2010, they had to squeeze. And where they used to do a show with six actors, they only did a show with four actors. Things that the audience wouldn't really notice. But uh, that's one of the facts of the state of the art, that all the theaters have retrenched, have tightened their belts a little bit as we go into 2011. I agree with that. Yeah. And Kelly, uh, what about non-for-profits, since I know you're involved with non-for-profits? Right, that's what I do uh, in my other it, life. It seems like they're doing okay. Non-profits yeah. you know, always... Storefronts, non-equities? Absolutely. They always manage to find a way. They uh, sometimes find a way by not paying their actors, which is something that of which I disapprove violently. I couldn't agree because with you I more. think actors should always be paid. There is a theater who shall remain nameless that um, begs at curtain, saying, "Okay, your admission price went to put the lights on." tonight, but if you want the actors to get paid, you should put some money in a basket on the way out. Yeah, I, I think that. that's kind of disgraceful. But the nonprofit theaters have figured out that they can't depend anymore on the large institutional funders, the foundations, certainly not on government funding. And so they've become much more aggressive in asking for support from their audiences. And so the sense of ownership that the Chicago audience has always had about its theaters has just gotten stronger and stronger. I was just in New York, and of course there's an enormous amount of theater in New York, but the the sense of community between the theaters on the one hand and the theater audiences on the other is completely lacking, and that's something that we really have in Chicago. Yes, we definitely do. The squeeze, Tom, is always, and I think Kelly will confirm this, on the midsize organizations. The big guys, the Goodmans, the Steppenwolf, Chicago Shakespeare Theater, that sort of thing, they have very, very large operating budgets. They have major grants from the big corporations and from the National Endowments for the Arts. They get along, even if they have to cut back a little bit. The little guys 
who are doing it on a voluntary basis, on a shoestring, for a few thousand dollars, they get by because they've never had enough grant money to have to rely on it. It's the mid-sized institutions, whether it's a dance company or a theater or a musical organization, it's the mid-sized that get squeezed the most and have the most problem at, at a time like this. Uh, and I have to second what Kelly said, that you know Chicago definitely has a sense of community that you find uh, very seldom, uh, very few other places, not only in the United States, but, but really very few other places around the world. Is that why everyone's moving here? <laughs> of course, of course. That and the fact that the cost of living in Chicago, even with the highest parking meter uh, rates Ugh. in the nation, the cost of living here, rent and so forth, is still reasonable compared to Los Angeles or New York or Boston or San Francisco. Now, you guys are agreeing. I guess I gave you too soft a question. Well, <clears throat> we agree occasionally just to keep each other on our toes. Okay, now let's tell us about the dueling critics. First of all, wh wh when you're on. We're on um, alternate Friday mornings. See, it's a very complicated schedule. It used to be that we were on every Friday morning on the 848 uh, magazine Kelly, show. Kelly, Kelly, why don't you make it easy? Just say that we are on every week, but we are on two different media. Two different media. That's much more complicated. Why don't I say that you can always find us at WBEZ.org. Okay. And what day? On Fridays? Um, we, and is there mm, a time? We post on Fridays, uh, usually at sometime between 9 and 10 o'clock in the morning. Okay, I'll be a little more specific. We are we we broadcast live on WBEZ on the eight forty eight program every other Friday okay. between nine AM and ten AM. And that live broadcast also is then put on the website WBEZ.org. On the alternate Fridays we do a uh, we review a show as the dueling critics, we do a live podcast specifically for WBEZ.org. You go to WBEZ.org, hit the Culture tab, and go to the Theater link. That's where you'll find the Dueling Critics. And despite the fact that we have faces for radio, the uh, pieces that we do exclusively for the website are video pieces. So you'll get to find out what the Dueling Critics look like if for some reason you'd like to know. Okay. Well, no. let me say that I, that I watched your Virginia Woolf, and I was very impressed because I didn't see any notes. <laughs> now, I'm not saying you guys didn't prepare it. You might have prepared it ahead of time, but that's impressive because generally when you watch the talking heads, even on CNN and all of that, no. you know they're talking in the monitors. We, Kelly and I do not rehearse uh, whether we're doing the podcast or live on, uh, on, on the 848 program. We do not rehearse and we do not trade our thoughts about the show before we go on. So we don't know. What, you know, Kelly doesn't know what I thought of the production. I don't know what Kelly thought. By this time, we've been doing this for several years. We pretty much know each other's tastes, but every now and then we throw each other's surprise. Um, you know, I find as a, as a working critic, and I also, of course, write reviews, that the process of taking notes in the dark, you know, I don't really have to refer to them very much when I'm doing a review because the process of writing the notes in the dark reinforces what it is that I want to remember about the show and think about the show. Um, and before we do our broadcast or our podcast, I'll write just a couple of less than a page of, of, of bullets, things that I want to remember to include. And 
We send our notes in advance to Allison Cuddy, who is the moderator of the 848 show, so that she knows what both of us think. And she's the one who's able to come up with questions and uh, to spark our disagreements if it's necessary to spark them. For example, unlike Jonathan, I don't take any notes in the dark. What I want to know about a show is what what it is that I find memorable. And so I'll write my notes a day or two later. And think back at the experience that I had and what stood out the most. So for some shows, that's going to be a particular actor's performance. For some shows, that's going to be the play itself. Other shows, it's going to be the director's concept. And I sort of wait for my unconscious mind to tell me what it is that I'm going to focus on about a play. So Jonathan is a much more um, intellectual and I'm much more instinctual critic. That's quite a combination. How did you guys arrive at the chemistry? Because you're both assertive personalities and you both have a lot to say, yet you guys you guys just know when to let the other guy speak. It, it, rather than some of the television shows, just talking heads, you see where they're just talking over each other the whole time. Look, I, I, I'll be very frank about this. I was the sole theater authority on Chicago Public Radio for about 10 years. On the 848 program, since its inception and before that, there was a program called Artistic License. And I was doing it all. I was reviewing shows. I was doing interviews with uh, notable artists who had come into Chicago. I was doing interviews with local theater artists. Um, And there was a regime change at uh, Chicago Public Radio, and a new person came in, a new layer, actually, of of editorial bureaucracy. And... uh, that person asked me whether uh, I would be willing to do, uh, you know, share the critic spot with somebody else. And I wasn't happy about it, but I decided that the politic thing to do was to say yes. And that person was Kelly. And uh, did, you, like, did you pick Kelly? or No, no, no. no. Kelly okay. was forced upon me, Tom. She that was forced upon me and happily... Happily, after Kelly got adjusted to doing the radio, which took just a few weeks, uh, we found that we did have chemistry on the air, and uh, we actually have a a good personal rapport off mic as well. Yeah, I mean, what Jonathan hasn't specifically said is that the dueling critics came about because I have very sharp elbows. (laughs) I had been doing uh, dance reviewing and some theater features for Chicago Public Radio and said to the arts editor, gee, I'd really like to review. And the arts editor said, oh, no, we already have a theater critic. I said, that's fine. But if you ever want to do something like that old Saturday Night Live bit about Shana, you ignorant slut, you know, the point, counterpoint. If you ever would like to do that, I would be up for doing that. And that's how Jonathan and I came to came to uh, start working together. And I had met Jonathan years before at a party where I made the mistake of asking him what he thought of a show he had just seen. And he gave me his entire review in about four sentences, like a brick thrown at my head. And I remember thinking at that time, my God, this must be what it's like to talk to me. And so it turns out that Jonathan and I were twins separated at birth. And we've had a really, really good time doing the Dueling Critics for the past, what, four years, maybe? Yeah, I think that's about right. About four years. Time flies when you're having fun. What is your mission? What, how do you see yourselves as, like, what's the role of the Dueling Critics? Tom, 
Tom, my mission is to win back an all-democratic Congress for a democratic president, a liberal democratic Amen. president. That's my that's my mission. But uh, <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but beyond that, uh, I don't know. I I never thought of. I've never thought of myself as a critic, let alone a dueling critic, in terms of a mission, except for to try to write and speak intelligently to a readership, a listenership, that I believe already has an interest in theater. So you're speaking to theater people. Yeah, and I sometimes have, Kelly's probably had this experience too, you sometimes have to deal with editors who try to get you to dumb down what you're saying. Like the guy who only reads the sports page is suddenly going to start reading your theater reviews. Well, you know... No. That ain't going to happen, No, that's sir. not going to happen, right. So uh, I try to write with an intelligence to people who I assume have a certain minimum base knowledge about theater and are interested in the subject. And I would say that my perspective is the same. I remember being very startled once when one somebody who was sitting in as our moderator asked me to tell the plot of Twelfth Night. Because, you know, if somebody's listening to a review of Twelfth Night, either they know the plot or they don't care. And I remember suddenly getting into the details of it and Jonathan's waving wildly, trying to tell me to stop going on for such a long time about the details. Because he and I both assume that we're talking to people, even if they're not people who work in the theater, not even people who go to the theater a lot, but people who understand the role of theater in the larger cultural community. To the extent that we have a mission, I think that our mission is to shine a spotlight on extremely good work being done by organizations that people haven't necessarily heard of. Jonathan and I, when we sit down to decide what we're going to review, try to come up with a balance between city and suburbs, between different neighborhoods, between theaters that represent different ethnic communities, um, and try that way to make sure that all of the fine work that's being done in Chicago gets some attention. And the best thing about being a dueling critic... Before I was one, I wrote for the reader as a critic. I assure you that no one read my reviews as carefully or extensively as people listen to my reviews on the radio. We can actually sell tickets for a theater a theater show that nobody's ever heard of before. And I think that's kind of a mission. Not that I, I regard myself as in the pay of the theaters, but I want to shine a spotlight on good work that would otherwise not be noticed. So you guys stay with positive shows, shows you generally like? No, no, no. no. We, we will talk about shows that we haven't liked. Uh, I, I don't think, you know, if you see a show that has a couple of bad actors in it. We're not going to attack those actors by name. Uh, I agree. I hate you know, that. We, 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 we don't do that. But, you know, even if we haven't liked a show, uh, the theater's phone will start to ring and they will sell some tickets because our listeners know that if Kelly doesn't like a show, it must be pretty good. So, <laughs> you know, that's just the way it works. There's no squelching him. He does that all the time. In fact, once we got an email that said, please tell Kelly and Jonathan to play nicely. <laughs> if it, it said, the email said something like, if I wanted to listen to people insult each other, I'd listen to Rush Limbaugh. And then he was very startled because both Jonathan and I wrote 
emails to him saying, oh, no, no, really, we like each other. We can usually play nice. And he was overwhelmed. So it's it. T- t- give me an example of one of the shows you guys really disagreed on, if oh. you can remember. I mean... Well, we were discussing it actually, okay. Tom, before you started right. taping, and you joined in the conversation. The brother-sister plays at Steppenwolf. Kelly put it on one of her five worst plays of the year list. I put it on one of my five. On, um, it was one of my five best plays of the year. Okay, Kelly, why was it so? I agree with you. I, I, I'll stack the deck. Well, I, I. It's been long enough since I saw okay. the plays that I can't be very specific. What I recall is that this was a trilogy of which I thought one play was good and that the two others, one was indifferent and one was out and out bad. Now, I remember that specific. All of the performances were good, but one of the things that we've discovered as dueling critics, at least I've discovered, is that Chicago has an exceptional acting community. Right. It's very rare to go see a show and think, boy, this would have been a good show if they'd just gotten some good actors. Certainly there are bad performances, but they're few and far between. So the brother-sister plays were wonderfully performed, and I wouldn't dispute that with Jonathan. What we disagreed about was the structure of the play. No, it was precisely that. It was the magic of the production that made the brother-sister plays a glory. Um, the energy, the ensemble, the combination of what of, of the most minimal use of 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 scenic design of prop and so forth you know the the glory of theater going back to its origins 2500 years ago you know the greeks performed these magnificent tragedies and comedies on a stage with that wasn't filled with scenery you couldn't even see the actors faces they were hidden behind masks but they combined acting beautiful language movement chanting song music dance Shakespeare's theater did the same thing working with costumes as its main as its main technical element it's the sense of the of the community telling a story that is what created theater in the first place and that is what you responded to in the first moments of the play you cannot tell me that you did not enjoy you did not think that something exciting was happening in the opening minutes of the brother-sister plays. And for me, that energy made it a must-see show and sustained itself through all three plays. I yield to no one in my enthusiasm for bare stage plays. I, too, believe that what's vital in the theater is what the actors are doing and the words that they're speaking. My objection to the brother-sister plays was that the words that they were speaking were uninteresting. And again, there were three of these plays. One of them was exceptionally good. I saw the exceptionally good one first. They weren't all done in a single performance. So you might see the two plays first and you might see the one play first. Um, As it happens, I saw the good one first and everything else was a letdown. Maybe Jonathan saw the bad ones first. And so it all seemed to ascend to wonderfulness. But whatever you say about a play, fundamentally, unless you're doing kind of silent movie plays, it's the language that matters. And Shakespeare is as great as he is, not because people can do him on a bare stage, but because his language is enough to carry that. And I didn't think brother-sister plays had language that was sufficient to carry it. That's a good example of 
of you guys disagreeing. All right. What what is your favorite play of last year? A couple of favorites. Oh my god. Well, um one of the ones that the one that we reviewed most recently, which is the Steppenwolf production of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, what is one of my favorite plays anyway and gets an extraordinary extraordinary production from Steppenwolf. And another one that Kelly and I agree on, and it's on our our best of the year list, uh, is uh, Travels with My Aunt at Writer's Theater. Uh, A brilliant, stylish comedy with four gifted, uh, timing, timed to a T performances. And uh, that continues, actually, both these plays continue to run uh, through January, and in the case of Travels with My Aunt, I think till March twenty seventh. Yeah, it goes way like in the that. March. Yeah, uh, a, a brilliant comedy and a and an extremely well done and effective, uh, you know, large American drama. Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? But the critic's dirty little secret, or at least this is my dirty little secret, is if somebody says to me, oh, you're a theater critic, what's good? My mind instantly goes completely blank. (laughs) Because we go to the theater three or four times a week. And if I don't manage to clear my mind of the last three things I've seen, then I can't respond in a fresh fashion to what I'm seeing tonight. Kelly, 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 Kelly. The way to answer that question is with a question. You know, you do the Jewish thing. <laughs> you answer a question with a question. When someone asks me, what's good, what do you recommend? I say, tell me the last two or three shows you saw that you liked. And then I make the individual give me some idea of his or her taste. If they rattle off three musicals, then I'm not going to suggest they go see Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. <laughs> Makes so, sense. That's, uh, I think there were other things that both Kelly and I liked. Uh, uh, you know, from early in the season, uh, from a year ago, uh, I was very impressed at Looking Glass Theater with their production of Trust. Uh, I think we both liked Mary Beth Fisher's brilliant one-woman performance in the the Year of Magical Thinking down at Court Theater. Yeah, didn't, a she profound, a, didn't she win a jet for that? A profound yeah. play. And more recently, a much smaller theater, the Hippocrates production of K directed and adapted uh, by Greg Allen from the Franz Kafka novel, yeah. The Trial. I thought it was a brilliant little piece of meta theater, and I'm not a great fan of the meta-theatrical. Right. I didn't get to see Kay, and I regret that. I mean, one of the things, was that, excellent, we, yeah. one of the things that we do is we agree on the play about which we're going to duel, and then each of us goes to see a number of plays that the other one hasn't seen, and that's the basis on which we do our weekly picks. So we make a deliberate effort... Yes, exactly. Uh, we make a deliberate effort not to overlap in every way, and that's the only way that it's possible to cover Chicago theater with any any validity. Makes sense. I noticed you both had, had on your list 101 Dalmatians is one of the worst plays ever. It's oh, one of the worst musicals ever. My God. And it's such a shame because yeah. 101 Dalmatians is the most lovely Disney cartoon, one of my favorites. I will never outgrow liking it. But when the big news, the big excitement is that the dogs are actually coming in on the red carpet, you know you have a bad show. And it was not a Disney production. That was the first hint. Actually, Tom, it wasn't on my list because I didn't see it. I had no, I had no interest in seeing a stage version of 101 Dalmatians. There was one, at least one of the big downtown shows this year that I did think was, I did think was dreadful, and that was the uh, highly touted production of the 39 Steps, 
which was all uh, all, 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 all technique. Uh, and he had Scott Parkinson little, in it, though. Ve- yes, it did. And it was still, it was all te- a former Chicago actor who's gone on to a very successful career. Uh, and it was all technique. It was about people turning on a dime and making the costume changes. And the what should have been big laughs simply were not. There, there was, it's like a wind-up toy, and they've been doing it so long that that's all you got out of it, rather than any sense of emotion or... or uh, that happens sometimes yeah. on tours, when they're a little stale. Yeah, I agree. Well, and the other thing is that I think Jonathan would agree, although we both go to the occasional Broadway in Chicago show, that's not our primary beat. Our primary beat is what we consider true Chicago theater, which are the resident companies and the repertory companies. There are obviously exceptions. Billy Elliot was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Yes, and Billy Elliot was one of the big downtown shows that was on my top five list also. Right, and I wouldn't dispute that. That really was exceptional. But there's so much indigenous theater here that um, a decision to see a show on tour represents kind of a, a fallback that most people don't need to go to. The other thing is, frankly, Broadway and Chicago tickets are very expensive. They're not expensive to us. We're lucky. Yeah. We're critics. We go for they free. They are getting expensive. And... There is a lot of theater in Chicago that you can see for not much more than the cost of a movie. I'm interested in expanding the Chicago theater audience to reminding people that it's possible to go to the theater without, you know, dressing up and spending a gazillion dollars. And so I'm not as interested in what happens at the Cadillac Palace or um, uh, at the other big downtown theaters as I am what goes on in the neighborhoods. I mean, this is a constant thing in Chicago, right? The battle between downtown on the one hand and the neighborhoods on the other. I'm fundamentally a neighborhoods girl. You know, uh, I, I enjoy the Broadway shows, and I see... I do, too. I, I, I see, but I do not see all of them. I'm, I'm looking at the upcoming schedule. You know, I have no need or desire to go see 9 to 5, the musical, which opens in mid-January at the Bank of America Theater. It will have an audience. That's fine. But the movie-to-stage musical, you know, is just a, a, an extension of the cash cow rather than... Uh, anything that can make a claim to 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 being a work of art, you know, Les Miserables is coming back again in its new 25th anniversary production. I don't need to see that again. I've already seen it three times, four times, something like that. There will be some, you know, Broadway musicals, uh, some big downtown shows I will want to see, like the new uh, uh, the new production, the new version of Working, when it opens at the Broadway Playhouse. Um, but it's, I very much pick and choose carefully when it comes to the big touring productions and Broadway musicals. And a lot of those touring productions are musicals. We're very fortunate to have not one but two suburban theaters that specialize in big musicals and do them fabulously. So, uh, Marriott, the Marriott Drury Theory, Theater and the Drury Lane Theater. Can I add Theater at the Center has, has, it in does. the last couple of years since Bill Polinsky took over? They do very yeah. good work. Yeah. Though, though it's not on the scale. Their, their budget is a little yeah. smaller than the others. The house is smaller, too. 
And also, I'm too lazy to drive to Munster between you, me, and the doorknob. Um, but the point is that, that we have access to really spectacularly well-done shows here in Chicago, and there's a, a, a significant cadre of musical actors who just set the set the stage on fire. And I'm much more interested in seeing Guys and Dolls at Marriott than I would be in seeing even a Guys and Dolls touring production. I agree with you. And even... And the, with the ticket prices at those theaters being much less. Absolutely. That you can see two people can go for less than one ticket, and you don't have to worry about parking in either place. And well, that's yeah, also true. Yeah. That's also and true. And the dinners are cheap. So it's a, it's a cheap date out, and you get you get terrific. I mean, Drury Lane's ragtime was as good as any of the national tours. I didn't get a chance to see that, and I regret that I didn't. I think Jonathan didn't. I didn't see that oh, one either. I, I I sort of get out to every other production at uh, at Drury Lane. And, seeing spam a lot. Um, That's tomorrow. I don't know. I haven't I haven't RSVP'd yet for the opening. We'll okay. see. Okay. Now, see, that's the one exception for my money. Yeah. I saw Spamalot when it came through on tour. Yeah. And, you know, there was an actual Monty Python person there. It was all very exciting. That was worth seeing, yes, I thought, with the New York company. So every rule has an exception. I would not have missed Cherry Jones doing the Broadway tour of Doubt for mm-hmm. anything in the world. That was very exciting. And I don't, I wasn't thinking to myself, gee, this could be just as good at the Goodman. But Many things would be just as good, not only at the Goodman, but at Timeline, at a number of other places. And they will be done at the Goodman or other theaters in Chicago, too. Yeah, they will. Well, in the interest of time, you guys have been terrific. Uh, I always have this question. Is there anything that either of you would like to do that you haven't done involved with theater? Well... In in another life, I, I was an actor. I, I first entered theater as an actor and studied acting when I was in college. And, and I kind of thought that, you know, one day I would be starring on Broadway myself. But wiser heads prevailed, Tom, and, uh, and I became the rich and powerful, the dreaded theater critic that I am now in Chicago. Um, I have occasionally, I enjoy acting. And if there were a way for me to act in one show a year for a month or six weeks, That's interesting. I would really, or, or I, I had enough money put aside that I could take off the summer and do summer stock. Yeah, I would, I would love to do that once again. Kelly? Whereas I could only be an actor if it were something that you could do with your face and your voice. The minute it involves one's body, I get on stage and I instantly have too many arms and legs. So acting is not for me. Excuse me. I've done uh, both stage managing and directing in very, very off-loop houses before I ever became a theater critic. And the last show that I directed got the most savagely negative review from Chris Jones. And I never recovered and stopped being a director and became a theater critic. Someday I'd like to recover from that and go back to doing directing. That is terrific. That is, that is cool. Uh, what shows are you anticipating that are going to be pretty good this year that you have coming up in your radar? Let's see. It's the last What's question. <laughs> I'm actually going to look at my... Okay. Jonathan keeps the master list of everything that's coming up. 
I try and do that, too. It, it, and there's so many conflicts, it just drives you crazy. Well, let's see. Gary Griffin is directing As You Like It at Chicago Shakespeare Theater. It's always worth seeing a production down there. there. Even if you don't care for the interpretation, you're going to see a lavish spectacle, uh, which makes it worthwhile. That opens January 12th. Wild Claw Theater, which specializes in horror theater, they're going to uh, do a new adaptation of Carmilla, the wonderful old Sheridan La Fanu, uh, late 19th Victorian uh, story yeah, it opens of, next of, week, yeah. of a female vampire. Uh, it goes into previous, it opens on the 14th at the right. Storefront Theater. I'll probably want to have a look at that. That's very much a matter of uh, difference in taste okay. between me and Jonathan. Right. I would not go see that stuff on a bet. <laughs> Wild Claw is a particular kind of sensibility. If you have it, you'll like their work. If you don't, you won't. I don't. Um, I probably am going to have a look at Three Tall Women, the Edward Albee play, the autobiographical Edward Albee play being done at Court Theater, which uh, begins previews. Let's see. when does The opening's it begin? the 22nd. And it begins previews on the 13th. Um, and Next Theater Company is also doing an interesting play by a playwright not well-known here in Chicago, J.T. Rogers, an interesting three-person drama called Madagascar, though it is not set on the island nation of Madagascar. It's set in Rome. Uh, but it's a play I read several years ago uh, as part of the jury for a prize. The play was the runner-up for the prize, uh, and it's called Madagascar, and it opens at Next Theater um, on the 24th of January. So those are just a couple of things upcoming that I'm looking for. Wow, great. Any parting comments? I guess I'd just add, in the spirit of Charlie Brown and the football, I am looking forward to seeing Neil LeBute's play, Reasons to be Pretty, at Profiles Theater, because I have hated every Neil LeBute play I have ever seen, and I keep hoping that I will get, eventually, why people think he's such a big deal. Profiles always does good work. I wish they would get different taste. <laughs> okay. Jonathan, we'll give you the last word. I will just say farewell. I want to thank you, Tom, for taking time to talk with us. And I want to thank Kelly Kleiman, who has been a supportive and generous partner as a dueling critic. And somehow she has a way of always making me look brilliant. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And folks, go see a play this week. <laughs>